Craft Beer Radio, Episode 5, July 14th, 2005. Welcome to Craft Beer Radio, the show for craft beer and the craft brewing industry. I'm Greg Weiss. And I'm Jeff Bear. Tonight we're going to be talking about amber ales. We're going to answer some questions, look at some email, talk about beer news, and also continue our macro muck segment. Yes, we brought back the macro muck segment to, due to popular demand. We yes. had several people asking for it. And we hope you enjoy it. Uh, but first we want to talk about our new intro music. Yes, as you probably noticed... As I hope you noticed, we had an intro song at the beginning of the podcast there. It is a band that I found on garageband.com. They're called Feeble Wiener, and that was, the be- that was the beginning of the song Lame Face. Yeah, if you ever want to find some royalty-free music, uh, check out garageband.com. Yep, and if you want to check out Feeble Wiener, you can get more information at their website at feeblewiener.com. It's spelled different. It's F-E-A-B-L-E-W-E-I-N-E-R. Well, let's uh, first discuss some email that we got. Thank you very much for sending us some email. We always appreciate getting it. And we got lots of it this week. Yes. Lots more than any other week. Actually, we got more this week than we had from since we started the podcast. That's true. So thank you for everyone who's listening and writing in. It's why we do this. Absolutely, and we always love to hear from you. First, uh, Carol from Wisconsin commented that she did some tests on the skunking IPAs after a few minutes, and they noticed that the great aroma of hops was gone. After yep. a few minutes. Yep, just a few minutes. They did in a, the sun. Uh, they did a side-by-side test where they covered one and left the other one in the sun. And just after a minute or two, they could tell the difference. Wow. So as we said in our episode, we were talking about skunking. The guy said he could notice it in 30 seconds. I'm like, well, that's pretty crazy. You can't notice it that fast. Maybe you can. I but, mean, I guess it's very hoppy, right? And it's something to do with skunking has to do with a breaking down, what is it, the alpha acids that are in hops? Right, the volatiles, the alpha yeah. acids. So, I mean, if it's so hoppy and it breaks down a lot of stuff at once, then you can conceivably say, all right, it's going to lose flavor very quickly. Right. Yeah, Carol said in her post that it didn't taste like the uh, skunk or, you know, but she noticed that the good flavor, the good fresh flavor from the IPA was gone after mm. just a few minutes. That's interesting. So keep your IPAs away from the sun, everybody. Uh, Eduardo from Kentucky said he wants us to taste milk stouts. And we will taste milk stouts. At some point. But we, we're trying to keep our tastings in line with the seasons. So in the fall, winter is when you can expect us to start tasting porters, stouts, and all the different kinds of stouts that we can get our hands on. Right. And, and, and unless we completely run out of beers to do. It's starting to get a little bit harder finding good selections of a style from our bottle shop. There's a couple of other places I can go to get beer, but they're farther away. Yeah. So we're going to see what we can do and hopefully keep finding different styles. Sooner or later, we'll be hoping for fall to come so we can get out and do right. some more of the other styles that we're trying to avoid for summertime. Uh, Uncle Flip found us on BeerAdvocate.com. He has a background in radio, so he gave us some, a lot of tips and food for thought. Yeah, he gave us a lot of information. We're going to work on implementing it, make us become better broadcasters, better radio guys. <laughs> uh, so that's a some, some, uh, small selection of the email we got. Thank you guys very much. Our question is from John Miller. Uh, he says he has a few questions about bottle conditioned beers if a beer is bottle conditioned what does the brewery do to make it taste similar when it's on tap is a bottle conditioned beer a completely different flavor when it's on tap and second he also asks that from all accounts 
he's talked about uh, the 90 minute IPA and says from all accounts he read it's a bottle conditioned beer but we reviewed and wasn't bottle conditioned so let's do the, let's tackle the first one which is uh, if a beer is bottle conditioned what does a brewery do to make it taste similar when it's on tap okay when a brewery does a beer on tap it, it they don't have to do anything special really uh-huh. because bottle conditioned beer has all the yeast in it put in the bottle it's capped and it's carbonated naturally right when a brewery makes a cake of beer they put the same beer with the yeast in the keg and they force carbonate, which means they seal it, they inject it with CO2, and it pushes the, the CO2 into the beer. Okay. So it happens a lot faster, but there's no real downside. You get the same quality of beer. Kegs are designed to be this turned over fast, sold right. fast. They don't sit at the bar for months and months on end. You're not going to find very many people keg conditioning beers. You might find yeah. some of the stronger beers sit around for a while in their kegs, but in most cases they're made to be turned over quickly. So there's really nothing they need to do. Now, with bottle-conditioned beers, when you lay them down and sell them, like the, he mentioned that he went out and bought a case of the Stouts Double IPA right. actually before he found us. And when he saw the show, he's like, oh, this is great. I can drink one of my beers and listen to the show. Now that, being bottle-conditioned, you can sell it, and it's going to age and change over the lifetime of that beer. That's so it's best something. if you get like a couple of them and then try one when you first get it and then try it a year later. Yeah, the yeah with, with that Stouts Double IPA, if you have a whole case of it, you know, you know, spread it out, and it'll probably be good for up to three, maybe even four years. Hmm. So you want to save two or three bottles for three years out just to see how it changes over time. Good to know. And the second question was about Dogfish Head's 90-minute IPA, and also I think it relates to the 60-minute IPA because I've noticed the same thing. It says on the label that they're bottle-conditioned beers, but there's no yeast in the bottle. Yeah, when you look in the bottle after you pour the beer out, it looks like a filtered beer. Right. We couldn't really figure out why or find information why didn't get around to calling the brewery or anything but if someone knows if dogfish head had changed how they package them or if it was an honest mistake on the label or, or what but we don't have a good answer for you on that one john so uh, if you have any ideas send us an email at beer at craftbeerradio.com now it's time for beer news all right the first bit of beer news hit the hit the websites this morning it's only picked up by one website but it's a little bit of old news yes. so if you know about this, we're sorry. If not, it's some pretty good news. Rogue Ales won a history-making 4 out of 11 gold medals at the 2005 International Beer Competition. They won... In London. Yes, in London. They won the title of Supreme Champion, and it says for its Mocha Porter. I did some research today. I posted in some forums to see mm-hmm. what four beers and what four styles they won their gold medals in, but no one was able to get back to me <laughs> by airtime. I see. And I was going to try to call Rogue today, but I didn't have time. wasn't sure if the person answering the phone would be able to give me that information anyway. <laughs> I love coffee porter. And the mocha porter, I've had it before. It's very good. See, I, I don't think it's that special of a beer. Really? Maybe I need to try it again. But when I've had it, it I didn't taste much coffee in it. I seem to remember being very good. I'm, I hope I'm not confusing it with um, the Red Star coffee porter, which oh, I thought was yeah, unbelievable. The Red Star, good. which is a brew pub in Greensburg, Pennsylvania. They have a tremendous coffee porter. If you ask me my favorite porter, Rogue's is... Fitzgerald. It's, it's, it's yeah. not even second on the list, though. I mean, Edmund Fitzgerald from Great Lakes Brewing has to be number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of the, the Rogue Mocha Porter. They're Shakespeare Stout, they're Chocolate Stout. You know, those are all great beers. I love Rogue beers, but the Mocha Porter just doesn't excite me. I had it on tap, and I, I thought it was very good. Um, but I don't really remember it that well, so I may be just confusing with something else. Yeah, I need to try it, too. It's been a year and a half or so since <laughs> I've had it as well. 
I also found that Utopia's 2005 is out. Oh boy, Utopia's. We've both had uh, our samples of Utopia's before. This is a. How much alcohol is in. in? This is the Sam Adams 25% alcohol beer. World's strongest beer. They found some mutant yeast on Mars or something to able to ferment (laughs) this beer because it's not distilled or anything. It's actually fermented to 25%. This year, they only have 8,000 bottles, and there's a certain line there. At a price of $100 a piece for a 12-ounce bottle. $100. Now, didn't they used to cost $200? I thought they were 150 the last time. Mm, no, I think it was only 100 because I remember at the um, at the beer fest, at the Extreme Beer Fest, uh, Jim Cook was there. And he was discussing how he was selling... He, he Some people from Germany came in to look at Sam Adams, and they asked him how he could sell a $100 bottle of beer. And he said, well, this compares really good to... It compares really well to a $200 bottle of cognac. So we can sell a $100 beer by saying you're saving $100. Yeah, that's exactly what the article I read today was talking about. Some person, he was a, he was a food writer for a newspaper, I think in Boston. Mm-hmm. And he went to Jim Cook's you know, tasting or whatever, and they tasted alongside a $100 bottle of cognac and, and a very expensive bottle of port as after-dinner type treat right. type beers. And they made the point, you know, this stands up with these beers and they're the same price, so that's why they charge that price for it. Now, it's if you a, ask me, I would certainly go for a uh, Dogfish Head Worldwide Stout or 120-minute IPA. You get nearly the alcohol. You have just as much character in you know, exploring the depth of the beer. And it costs 10 bucks for the bottle instead of 100 So I'm not a huge fan of hard liquor anyway. So I, would, I agree with you that I would rather have a different beer, a harder alcohol beer, than, than this kind of almost distilled drink. But I, I think that it has its place, and people who really enjoy that, people who really enjoy a good cognac, can probably get perhaps an even better deal by tasting this beer, which is excellent sort of cognac taste. Yeah. Another story I found today was uh, Milwaukee is the top beer drinker city. They said 53% of the people surveyed had drank beer in the past week. Hmm. Some of the runners-up were Denver, St. Louis, Boston, Albany, and Buffalo. I guess I'm a little surprised Pittsburgh isn't on this list. I was trying to find the source survey, but the story linked to another story, which linked to another story, and I wasn't able to find the survey. Now, Milwaukee is uh, home of the Plank Road Brewery, which is, of course, Miller, right? Yes, yeah. I believe so. Paps Blue Ribbon's out of Milwaukee as right. well. The next story, which you might have heard, <laughs> is that they found formaldehyde yeah. illegally used in Chinese beer. It's um, used to keep the precipitants out of older beer. How does that relate to Irish moss? Irish moss is an ingredient that homebrewers add to their beer near the end of the boil. It's a seaweed. It helps get the proteins out of the beer. Mm-hmm. It congeals with the proteins, and, and it drops, uh, it takes it out of suspension and drops at the bottom of the kettle. So that makes for a clearer beer when you're drinking, you're drinking homebrew. Right. Sometimes it would be cloudy or hazy. Irish moss will help make a clearer beer. But I'm not sure what the formaldehyde is. And the funny part was, I found a story just before we went on the air from the Chinese Zhang Chao newspaper or whatever it was, that the Chinese article says that, yeah, there's formaldehyde in our beer, but hardly as much as in our chicken, fish, and fruit. Oh, great. That's good to know. So don't have any Chinese chicken. Well, you, you get less formaldehyde from Chinese yeah, beer than you do for Chinese um, chicken, so that's good. For Chinese beer, there's 0.2 milligrams per liter. In chicken, there's from 0.5 to th- point, from 0.5 to 30 milligrams per kilogram. 
Only five percent of Chinese beer is free from the formaldehyde. Yeah, it's typically the premium Chinese beers. Oh, which is kind of one of those oxymorons, <laughs> right? And the last bit of news we have is kind of a recall from one of our news bits last week. We were a little premature with popping the cap in North Carolina. Unfortunately. By the time we posted this on Thursday, there was news out that the momentum for the bill had stalled in the Senate. I think there's one senator who's holding it up in, com- in another committee, yeah. from what I read. So we say boo to that, and we hope that uh, everybody in North Carolina will get this pop-the-cap measure passed as soon as possible. Well... That about does it for the news, and now we're going to go on to the main segment, which is our Amber beer Ailes. segment. Amber Ales. This is uh, sort of continues our colored beer. Yeah, well, we did, well, we did brown week. ales last week, right. so we're lightening it up a little bit, going a little <laughs> bit reddish here. The amber ale, it's um, it's not a very distinct category. It's almost a catch-all okay. for everything between a dark ale and a pale ale. <laughs> it can be just about any kind of hoppiness. Its alcohol could range from light to, to medium high, from like 4 to 7%. The reason we picked it is because we could get a good selection of amber ales from the bottle shop near my house. The really good news is most of these beers have very wide distribution. So this is going to be our best show yet for reviewing beers that you can probably find at your local store. Sounds good. I guess this is, like you said, a catch-all. So essentially we're going to be using pint glasses for these. Yep. Yeah, the uh, standard American pint glass. Since there's all kinds of different styles, the food and the cheese recommendations here are going to vary a lot. Yeah. But if you want to just try to pick something. Now, even the ones that were listed are beef, poultry, and fish. No. So every <laughs> kind every, of meat. Yeah. You know, I guess pork isn't on there. So. Yeah, no lamb or venison or anything. <laughs> cheese, a sharp cheese, blue cheese or cheddar cheese. So, so a sharp type of cheese. So yeah. it, it kind of to contrast with the hoppiness and the maltiness. Yep. Pretty standard serving temperature, 45 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. We're going to pause right now and let our beers come up to temperature. And we'll be back to taste our first beer. I want a beer, goddammit. Now, look, you curb your language, or I'm going to take this Bocalator 3000 right back to Walmart. You hear me? And we're back. It's been about 10 minutes, which is the time we've spent with the beer outside of the fridge to get it to about 45 to 50 degrees. We're starting with Red Seal Ale from North Coast Brewing. This is available in 30 states, Europe, and the Pacific Rim. Uh, They have an annual production of 27,000 barrels. This is classified sometimes as an amber ale, sometimes as a pale ale, so sort of interesting. 5.5% alcohol by volume and 45 IBUs. Now it looks, from the look of it, very... I mean, there's obviously redness to it, amberness. I'd say it tips more to the red side. It's a bottle-conditioned beer. Greg's is very red and amber. Mm-hmm. Mine is lighter and cloudier. And mine was poured first, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So mine was from the bottom of the bottle, so I got a little bit of yeast. I probably could have poured it a little bit more carefully. A small head... It is a head that is is staying with the beer. Very citrus aroma. Yeah, very much so. A little yeah. bit of maltiness there too. I'm gonna just sit here and smell this for a few minutes. <laughs> it's it's a very so it's much. a very good smell. Yeah. A little bit of that hoppiness there too. Yeah. Well, that's where I got yeah I got a bunch of citrus yeah. hops from it. Very very lovely aroma. I do love the smell of hops. So let's have a taste here. Good hoppy taste to mm-hmm. it. Hoppy taste, fresh taste. Yeah, certainly. Fresh. Um, there's a little bit of malt, but it's very sort of subdued. The hoppiness is coming forward, basically on the sides of your mouth. 
North Coast Brewing Company is in Fort Bragg, California, and they have an annual production of 27,000 barrels. Right. They started in 1988. One of their other beers that I love, it's one of my top ten favorites, is mm-hmm. their old Rasputin Imperial Stout. I don't think I've ever had that. It's um, it's one of those Imperial Stouts that has a lot of warming character from it. You can really, the alcohol's not hidden, it's really yeah. there, and that's what I like in Imperial Stouts. It's number two right behind Expedition. And if I had an if I could if it was as available here as Expedition was, who knows, it probably could be number one mm. too. Uh, I'm noticing uh, this is a very crisp mouthfeel to it. You notice a lot of the carbonation. But it finishes very clean. Yeah, it has a it starts out really hoppy. Mm-hmm. But then you get a caramel malt taste halfway through the taste. And right. uh, really balances out the beer. It does. It, it's an aggressive beer on the hop side. I would say it's pretty... It's not a, a mellow beer, Yeah, but it has a nice hop-then-malt balance to it. I do like the way it kind of evolves. It's funny because we're talking about a cold-tasting beer later on in Macro Muck. This is cold-tasting. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll get into my, my problems with that slogan later. I don't want to blow my wad here, so... <laughs> Uh, Greg, almost had a spit Did take. Did you say blow your wad? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. This beer has won several awards in 2002. It won a silver medal at the Great American Beer Festival in 2000. It won two gold medals, one at the Great American Beer Festival and one at the Stockholm Beer Festival in Stockholm, Sweden. I like the roastiness at the end, and, and it almost tastes a little bit bready. I think. I think it's sort of the, the way the hops kind of dissolve into it. I'm not getting too much bread, but I mean, I'm getting a little bit. I can see where you're coming from. I'm getting a lot of sweet, um, like the caramel flavor from the malt from it, and uh, it's quite enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I had this beer one other time on tap, and I thought it was an IPA when I drank it. But again, like I said, how the styles of great big catch-all yeah. and, amber ale, and amber ale could very well be an IPA. It's a little too dark, a little too red, you know. Right. I mean, it, it's. I I can see where you could mistake it for an IPA, but I think it's it doesn't have quite the hoppy character that you'd expect from an yeah, IPA. Yeah, it has more malt, malt backbone to it too, where yeah. an IPA would have a drier finish to it. That's true. It's almost creamy. Yeah, very full mouthfeel. That's mm-hmm. where you get the creamy from uh, when you um, swallow this. It it fills your mouth from side to side. It's really good. I like it a lot. Yep. Uh, anything else about North Coast Brewing? They've won awards. Yeah, I just mentioned those. Oh. <laughs> Pro- probably the same way that I mentioned some of the information you mentioned when I was <laughs> pouring the beer. We need to figure out a better scheme there because I'm busy pouring the beer and I'm trying to pay attention to what you're saying so I don't repeat it later. But, <laughs> you know, in- invariably, I'm too busy making sure I do a good pour. Well, nonetheless, I- we want to repeat that they have won awards. Yes. <laughs> so, <laughs> there you go. Our next beer is uh, from Kalamazoo Brewing Company. It's Bell's Amber Ale. I just recently had, again, Bell's um, Expedition Stout. Okay. Not really a summer beer, but I was there, and I was like, you know, i got to try it again. It's a very good beer. It's a very hoppy stout. Yeah, I probably have a six rub it down in my cellar. Uh, have we done Bell's before? No, we wanted to last week, but I couldn't get the brown ale. Right. And I don't think we've done any Bell's. We've talked about Bell's a lot, because it's one of our favorite breweries. Now, Bell's has a uh, Kalamazoo... Has an annual production of 22,000 barrels. They're available in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Mississippi, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Montana, and Kentucky. MI is Michigan, not Mississippi. 
Michigan. <laughs> Sorry, Mississippians. I don't think you can get bills. I'm running this very quickly, so <laughs> made that mistake. I apologize. It's okay. We'll let it slide this time, right, listeners? <laughs> I was going to say, Mississippi seems like a strange one out of that group, but uh, that's why. Uh, website at bellsbeer.com. They're located in uh, Kalamazoo, Michigan, so I should have realized that <laughs> because Kalamazoo is in Michigan. Alcohol of 5.5%. Bell's Brewing Company is founded by Larry Bell. He's a great guy. I've met him once, got to talk with him. Great guy to talk to. I mean, he's just like a guy on the street. Talk to him, talk about beer. He's wonderful. He um, opened a homebrew supply shop in 1983, turned into a brewery, sold his first beer in 1985, hmm. and been making beer ever since. Well, from the look of this, it's a cloudier. It's sort of, it's uh, it's got that amber color to it, but it's a cloudier beer than the last one. It has the same sort of head that's kind of standing around, but it's very small. I have a bunch of stuff floating in my beer. Do you have that, or is it just because I got the bottom of the bottle I again? I think you got the bottom of the bottle. It's probably bottle conditioned as well. It's certainly bottle conditioned. Um, there's a whole bunch of sludge down there. And again, I guess I wasn't pouring carefully enough. I got a lot of vitamin B12 floating in my beer. <laughs> well, it's healthy. Yep, good for my muscles and bones. And I'm getting kind of... Um... A little bit of a fruity, ta- a fruity uh, aroma from it. It, it. It's a, it's the hoppiness is sort of subdued, but I'm getting some of the fruit. But there's, it's not much of an aroma here. Yeah, the it's a subtle, subtle aroma. It is a little fruity on it. It's um, it's malty too. I'm getting a, a fair amount of malt flavor from it, or malt aroma. Yeah, it's starting to come through now as I swirled around a bit to get some more aroma. Okay. Yeah, I just took a sip of this beer. It's not nearly as hoppy as the last one. It's a lot more of the malty side of the amber ale spectrum. Oh, so, absolutely. So yes. it's a good contrast. Yeah. You know, they're both amber ales, but very, very different beers. This is um, yeah, very much more malty. There's a little bit of hoppiness that comes at the end instead of from, from the one before, where there was a hoppiness at the beginning that turned into malt. This is sort of malt all the way through, with some hoppiness coming around at the end. Very well-rounded beer, I'd say. Sort of even-keeled. Yeah, yeah. It, the other one was like a... I said it was balanced, but now that I think about it, it was more of a tug-of-war. You right. had hops on one end, malt on the other. And this one is uh, a lot more balanced. It's predom- predominantly malty, but it has a good hop balance to it. I agree. Well, I really like the, the sort of aftertaste, the way those hops come at the end. Yeah. A, a nice uh, a full sip of this really brings that out. Yeah, it's almost like a grassiness. A little, a little bit, bit, yeah. A little bit of a grassy flavor to it. No, grassy in a good way, not a bad way. Not like going out back and having a <laughs> mouthful of lawn clippings. This, um, the other one finishes more clean. This finishes more malty. Yeah. Uh, but I really do like that. It's very, very drinkable beer. It's um, mm. kind of reminiscent to the Brooklyn Brown Ale. Well, Brooklyn, I think, was more hoppy. Yeah, because it was a, the hoppiest of the brown ales we tried right. last week. This is kind of reminiscent. This one doesn't have as much of the malt backbone to it. Yeah, I mean... But it's kind of reminiscent to it. It's like... I don't know. In, fa- in my opinion, I think it has, this is more malty than the Brooklyn brown. Okay. I, 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 or at least I feel the malt has more a center stage than the Brooklyn where there was kind of... The, the hops were playing a much more prominent role than they usually play in brown ales. And this one is more of a maltiness with a little bit of hops there, you know, sort of speaking in, in the chorus. Right. Well, the, the big difference in the malt flavor of the two is that one had some more chocolatey, um, 
you know, roasty type right. notes to it, where this one's more of a, a sweet, bready type malt to it. Yes. And you say you like the Expedition Stout. We've both talked about that. Java Stout. I don't think I've had their Java Stout. I mentioned it the the show we had after I went to that Bell's tasting. Mm-hmm. I can't remember which show that was. It's a it's a pretty coffee beer. I would have to say the one you mentioned earlier in the show, the Red Star, it's probably a little bit better. It was a porter too, as yeah. opposed to a stout. Yeah. But it, it's a good beer. The Two Hearted Ale is an IPA. It's, it's a great beer. I really like that. If you're, if you're ever in Greensburg, Pennsylvania, we definitely recommend you check out Red Star. Yeah, it's at the uh, Amtrak train station. So if you're ever traveling through Greensburg <laughs> on train, jump out and have some beer. Wait for the next one. Yeah. They usually have a, a beer fest every year, but I guess they're not having one this year? No, no beer fest this year. I asked, asked them at the Penn Brew Fest, and... The reason escapes me right now. They're, uh, I think they might be doing some construction in the parking mm. lot or something like that. That's a shame. They always put on a good beer fest. Well, we're about done with this one, so we're going to be looking at our next beer from, we talked about them before earlier in the podcast, Rogue Ales. This is Rogue's American Amber Ale. It is a 5.6% alcohol by volume. Rogue is distributed... They have a very wide distribution area. Yeah, I wasn't able to find a list on their website of what states they are, aren't available in. Mm-hmm. Unless you're very unlucky, you'll be able to get rogues at your local bottle shop. They are brewed in uh, Newport, Oregon. They have an annual production of 32,000 barrels. They're a very widely known and widely awarded brewery. They have a uh, download PDF on their page of all their awards. They've won all their beers. It's five pages of (laughs) of medium-sized type. I mean, each beer has won a lot of awards. This one we're drinking today is the American Amber Ale. It has an interesting story beside it. On the label here, I'll hold up so Greg can see it. There's the typical rogue guy with his his rogue victory fist, but he has an American flag behind him because it's the American Amber Ale. The U.S. government, the ATF or something is making them change their label because there is a statute you cannot use the American flag in advertising. Is that true? It is true. It's uh, U.S. Code Title Four, Chapter 1, Section 8, Item 1. The flag should never be used for advertising purposes in any manner whatsoever. That sounds very strange because, I mean, I've seen the flag used in all types of ads everywhere. I guess the fact that this is on the label as opposed to Commercial. Well, there's more. They have a bunch of merchandise with the flag. Their delivery truck was a red, white, and blue delivery truck. <laughs> they have to repaint their delivery truck. Wow. And the owner says, you know, this just isn't about always going to fight. So I guess it's not worth fighting at a certain point. So this label here might be a collector's item. We should keep it. It's kind of put on haphazardly. Yeah. <laughs> it's not falling off the bottle. The... Um, the 22-ounce bottles have all their labels silkscreened on, and that would probably be a better collector's item yeah. than this one. But uh, maybe we'll give this away to a lucky listener or something. Maybe. Collector's item rogue label. Like we say, it's kind of disheveled, so it's not the super collector's item. But email us if you want it. Okay, this beer has Ken Goldings and Cascade Hops in it. I can ca- smell that right in, in, the, in the aroma. It's an interesting mix because the Cascade is a traditional West Coast American hop. Right. Ken Goldings is a traditional British. British hop. Right. So the King Goldings will give you the like an earthy, mossy character, and the Cascade's going to give you a citrusy, um, 
or not spicy, but a citrusy, fruity flavor. And you know, you can really, you can almost smell that dichotomy when you smell the uh, the beer because there's something going on there. there there's a, there's a couple competing uh, aromas going on. Okay, the first thing I noticed about this beer over the other two is it has a thinner mouthfeel than the other two. Mm-hmm. That was the very first thing I noticed. It's also more bitter. It has a higher um, bitterness rating. This one's at 53. Mm. So it, the number is pretty arbitrary. I mean, if you tell me a beer has uh, a bitterness of 45, I mean, I can tell you that's relatively low, but I couldn't tell you the difference between a 45 and a 35 type thing. So when you hear places talk about the IBUs, it's a scientific measure of how much of the bittering oils from the hops are in the beer, but it's, it's kind of just a, a reference. It's not really going to be you know, too useful for you to know before you drink the beer. This is an interesting taste because you taste it, and, you, and the first thing you taste is really nothing. And then this bitterness comes in on the side with this sort of grassy, hoppy taste. Yeah, I'm, I can taste the Kent Golding. There's a little bit of that mossy, earthy yeah. flavor to it. And uh, look, it seems to me that the, the Cascade, the, the more aggressive American hop, is kind of just playing a supporting role. Yes. It's um, it's kind of, it doesn't have its own character. It's just kind of helping out the character of the, the English hop a little bit. It's funny. This is the American Amber Ale, and the English hop is the one that's coming through. But it, at first, I, I wasn't quite sure what to think of it, but the more I drink of it, the more I actually like it. It's different. It's a different flavor than I was expecting. But I like the the way it's different. I don't think I, I could have a whole bunch of these, but as an in-between beer, it's great. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the characteristics you get in a, like an extra special bitter or something like that. Mm-hmm. The the bitterness at the side of your yes, tongue, yes, the middle, the side of your tongue in the middle of the taste. It reminds me a lot of an ESB. This thing has won a ton of awards. I only put the top ten awards that it's won, and that goes from 2005 to 2002, and that was like less than half of the awards that this thing has won. <laughs> This is an award-winning beer. This year it won at the World Beer Championships, World Champ. Last year it won at the World Beer Champs, the Australian International Beer Awards, and the BIIA. I didn't look up what that means. I think the B is for beer. Yes, and A is probably association. Probably. And the I's are for something else. The International Ingots. Internationals. International Ingots Association. (laughs) Why would they be giving beer awards? Why not? They make ingots. <laughs> Hard day making ingots. You might want to drink some beer. It kind of it ends bitter. Yeah, it just sort it, of ends with this sort of bitter, lasting taste, which isn't bad. But if you don't like bitter stuff, it's probably not going to appeal to you that much. Yeah, see, it's one of the things I like. I love yeah. that bitter sitting on my tongue. You know, people be like, "Oh, the aftertaste, yuck!" But. Um, yeah, this is a beer that stays on your tongue for a while. Yeah, and yeah. I, th- I think it would go good with food. Yep, it probably would go pretty good. Let's see, what would I pair it up with? A I burger. Could... I'd pair this up with a burger. I oh, think it'd go burger. really well. How about a blue cheeseburger? <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. yeah, this would go really well. I could, I could imagine just tasting this with a couple of chunks of blue cheese. Uh-huh. The more mild part, because you know, we can get that really pungent blue cheese. It overpowers yeah, everything like you taste. Yeah, like Gorgonzola or but something. You get a, a, a more milder blue cheese, I think it would... You would go pretty good, really tangy with this, and uh, be a good combination. It would really it, it prevents sort of two different sides, and yeah, it would be it would taste really good. Some of this, the, is, this is very distinct beer. I like that about it. Yep, we mentioned some of their other beers already, and some of my favorites: the Rogue Shakespeare Stout, which mm-hmm. is the oatmeal stout. 
their chocolate stout is interesting. It's one of the few chocolate stouts that actually has chocolate in it. It has Baker's chocolate. And Yum. it's a, Yeah, it's a good beer. It's an expensive beer. You don't can't go around buying cases of it all the time. Yeah. I can't wait till we do chocolate stouts because that'll be a fun show. Yeah, that'll be good. And uh, they're, uh, one of my other very favorite rogues is their I2PA, their Imperial India Pale Ale. Yeah. It was the first Imperial India Pale Ale I had, and it, I guess it keeps a special place in my heart. <laughs> I had it on cask down at Fatheads. Oh, Heads, wow, that And good. Uh, you were with me, I think. We were going to that Funny Bone show. Yeah, I think that was before I was really into it. I think yeah. I had a Newcastle. Yeah, I, I gave it to Greg, and he pretty much spit it out because it was so hoppy. It was before I liked hops. What are you going to do? Yep. It took me some time. Yeah, special place, special memory in my heart. <laughs> I wish I was into it at the time because then I probably would have really enjoyed it. You know when I'm dying and I'm like flashing, my life's flashing before my eyes. It's gonna be all the great beer. <laughs> it's gonna be all the great beer moments I had. There's me on the cruise ship in Alaska drinking a Laconer right. IPA. Mm, mm, Alaska smoke porter. Yum. Hopefully, there's a couple of views of me in Belgium. Speaking of Belgium, what else is there to live for, really? Yep. Speaking of Belgium, I got hand delivered. My friend who just was in Belgium, the number one ranked beer on beeradvocate.com. Oh, really? Yes. A West Veltrin 12. Wow. Yes. It's not imported into the United States, so it was kind of smuggled Shh. into the United Books. States. Yes, it was a book. <laughs> we got an email that someone got a kick out of that uh, the books joke I made before. I, they, I think they said they almost wet themselves or fell out of their chair or something. I forget, but they really enjoyed that joke. But yeah, so someday when I have a very special occasion, you know, maybe my firstborn child or something, yeah. I'll be... Uh, or our 100th podcast, maybe. Yes, maybe the 100th podcast. <laughs> we'll be uh, cracking the West Veltrin 12. Sounds good. Too bad they couldn't smuggle two out. She two did. books. Oh, she kept one for herself. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could break into her house and get you one. Uh, they also... Uh, Rogue also makes... Um, some stuff for Morimoto's restaurant for Chef Mariahato Morimoto who's an iron chef and uh, he now has a restaurant in Philadelphia he has one opening in D.C. I think one opening in New York too and they make his Imperial Pilsner okay uh, I've heard the Imperial Pilsner is pretty good they make a buckwheat beer too I haven't had it but my neighbor did and uh, he couldn't finish it he said it was horrible he didn't really? like it at all yeah you, and your neighbor is, is very into beer yeah, he's he's a he homebrews with me, and uh, when we both got into the homebrewing thing together, and you know we're both pretty big, big into craft beer, you know we'll try to get him on the, uh, the podcast someday as a guest host when we get a third <laughs> microphone. If you hear that background hum, that's Greg's cheap Radio Shack mic, and we're going to use some funds here to uh, get him a real one. Yeah, we're so going to get him get less a new noise. One really Although I kind of like the hums with the background. Yeah, mm. it's our music. It's our background <laughs> music. You guys wanted it, you got it. Hum. <laughs> We're selling an old broken laptop, so we're going to use the proceeds That's on That's right. <laughs> we're selling an old broken laptop on eBay. And uh, the only thing that doesn't work is the power switch. So the proceeds for that is going to buy us a microphone. Yeah. I want a piece of craft beer radio history. Yes. Yes, you want a piece of craft beer radio history. Greg's Inspiron 7000 was <laughs> used during the, the premiere episode. And then we couldn't get turned on after that. I think, actually, we I used my other computer. My other laptop during the premiere episode, and then we used it, and then we used that one during a different episode. But I'm not really sure if that's right. <laughs> I have a I have a different laptop that I bought when this one just started to fail, and the reason is just the power switch. We'll uh, sign it with silver sharpie and everything if you guys yeah. want it. It's over on eBay. 
But now I don't really need to use the laptop because uh, Jeff, is, Jeff does such a good job preparing all this stuff. Yes, I work several days in advance preparing all these notes for the show. And hopefully it shows. I think we're getting pretty good at putting these podcasts out. I think so, too. Well, but, Let us uh, know. Yeah, we don't want to yeah, think you're, ourselves. You're the guys who really judge us. Our next beer is from Anderson Valley Brewing Company, which is... Uh, I really like Anderson Valley. I haven't had too many of their beers, but the ones I've had, I've really liked. This is Boont Amber Ale. This is a 5.8% alcohol, so it's a little bit higher in the alcohol. From Boonville, California. They have an annual production of 20,000 barrels, so they're just in that uh, micro-brew designation. Uh, they have a distribution area that's pretty wide. There's a lot of states here. And I have a fear that if I read them again, I'll make a mistake. So we're just going to say it's a pretty wide. It's not quite as wide as, as Rogue's, but it's, you'll probably find Anderson Valley stuff where you are. Yeah, um, I put these together. Let's see on the map. It was most of the West Coast had some uh, northern Midwest and northeast, I believe, covers that. Like from Virginia up to Maine, most of that's covered. Or not all the way up to Maine, but uh, Virginia up to Massachusetts or so. You can always go to their website, which is avbc.com. So that stands for Anderson Valley Brewing Company.com. Mm-hmm. And they have a map there, so if you want to find some of their beers, that's where you can look. And like all the other Amber Ales, I don't think we mentioned this, but this one's available all year. This is not a seasonal beer. Yeah, I believe every beer that we tasted so far is a year round brew. We haven't tasted any seasonals. And what I'm really getting is a lot of malty smell from this. I don't smell much of anything else. Yeah, there's there's hardly any um, hop aroma in here. It's it's pretty pure, pretty much pure malt. However, the taste is hoppy. I think it's there's sort of a is kind of the other ones have been hoppy then malty or malty then hoppy. This is sort of a combination right at the front. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Now this has a um, the flavor is. Um, Hold on a second. It's it's a hoppiness with a maltiness. They kind of back. They're they're kind of traveling with each other at the same time. It's um. It I'm really gonna... hits the back of your of your throat and sort of the the top of your mouth. Yeah, I'm getting a. Oh man, that's good. <laughs> I'm getting a bunch of um, fruitiness at the beginning, mm-hmm. and it fades into a little bit of malt. Um, Wow. It's really good. This is the, the first beer out of one so far that I have not had, and uh, quite a surprise. It's really good. I, mean, I like this. I love the way the, those flavors are traveling together. At least that's the way I, I taste it. Oh, man. <laughs> I'm almost speechless. I got a – let me grab the cheat sheet here, our flavor wheel, which you can find on our older show notes if you want to get a copy of it. We'll probably leave a, co- uh, a link for it on our notes for this one as well since we mentioned it. Sure. Let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. That's really good. Yeah, we got fruity, maybe a little bit estery to it. A little bit, but not too much. I think yeah. it's more fruity. So I think an estery and phenolic is almost the same, or they're close to each other. Well, the phenols are the spicy. Yeah. The estery is fruity. That's not, well, I guess that, that yeah, I guess you can If you're simplifying it down. Yeah. Because the, the phenols are like what we had in that heffa, which gave it that yeah. pepperiness to right, it. Yeah, right, right. But I, I'm tasting much more of a fruitiness to it, I think. And, and it doesn't really have the bitterness that we that you associate with the last one we had with the rogues. 
the bitterness is kind of there's a very tiny bit of it that's not really there but it, this maltiness combined with the hoppiness is really good it's hard to describe exactly how good it is but this is something that you should definitely try to pick up if you can find it yeah this is uh, I would say it's the maltiest beer so far it um Again, it carries over some of the tones from the brown ales we were tasting. You think it's the maltiest? Because I, I think that the Bells is probably the maltier one. This has, balancing the beers out, this one is the most malt-heavy. Mm-hmm. It has the least noticeable hops in it. It's it's very full-bodied and kind of goes, it comes across well in the tongue. It's almost uh, velvety or silky. Some of Anderson Valley's other beers that I like is the Extra Special Bitter, mm-hmm. their Oatmeal Stout, and their Hop Otten IPA. And one of my favorites is, uh, and I had it last year, they're a seasonal called Winter Solstice. Oh, I didn't even think of the seasonal. The, uh, yeah, the Anderson Valley Winter Solstice. Which is a winter warmer, which is just incredible. And I missed it last year. It was so I good. I called my beer distributor, like, grab me a case of that. And I'm like, <laughs> you're too late. I'm like, what? It's like November. How can I be too late? I was able to get it on tap at a place called Smoke and Joe's here in Pittsburgh, and it was unbelievably good. It was awesome. I had like three. <laughs> I had three glasses of it. I usually don't have that much beer in a place, but I had three glasses. It was so good. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, it, I'm going to go to the beer distributor like continuously from like the end of August <laughs> just to make sure I can get some this year because I wanted it last year. I wanted one of two. I wanted that one, or the Southern Tier Old Man Winter. Which is a similar beer, and it's I like that one a lot too. And Southern Tier didn't make the Old Man Winter last year, hmm. and I missed the Anderson Valley, so I was SOL. Too bad. I remember so, uh, Southern Tier was one of the first sort of trips I went on with you to find a beer. Okay. We went to get their IS. Yeah, they have Southern Tier. They're a brewery out of New York, relatively young. They have what they call their Blackwater series, which is a limited release, keg only, to you know bars in the region. And the first one they put out was their Imperial Stout. And I heard about it a little bit late. Some of the bars downtown Pittsburgh had already kicked their keg. Uh-huh. So I was calling around to see who had it. And the Rivertown Inn out in Verona had it. So Greg and I hooked up and we went on a little beer trek out to Verona so we could try the Is. And it was worth it. That was a good it stout. It was really good. It was really good. I think it was the first Imperial Stout I had. Oh, really? Yeah. I think it was the first time I really... And I was definitely you know jumping into craft beer at the time. It was okay. about a good couple of years ago, maybe a year or two. It was last summer. Last early summer, yeah. I think. And I was really, you know, I hadn't, I had tried a bunch of other beers, but I hadn't really tried Imperial Stouts yet. And so it was uh, really delicious. And I was like, wow, this is a great beer. And I remember that they had um, glasses that were iced over. And you were like, don't you know, wait for it to cool down because all their glasses were iced over. So we had to wait until... Yeah, I ordered the beer. You know, I'd never been to the bar. Didn't know what they did. Great, they have a good beer selection. They probably have 20 taps or so. And they give me my Imperial Stout in a frosted glass. I was like, damn. <laughs> I'm like, what should I do? And I didn't have enough you know, balls to tell the waitress that I'd like to pour it into a new glass or something. So I sat there, wrapped, cupping my hands around the glass for over 20 minutes trying to warm the dang thing up. <laughs> my hands were so cold. And um, I finally got it warming up to the flavor. And Greg orders his... And I wasn't paying attention or something. And his came in a frosted glass because he came a little bit late. He uh, got stuck in traffic, so he didn't show up the yeah. same time I did. Then he got lost on the way, too. Okay. And uh, <laughs> so he had to wait 25 minutes or so until his beer was warm enough to drink. But it was certainly worth it. 
And the thing I remember most about that day, ironically, is that I was wearing these really small shoes. Or I was wearing these socks that were really big, but these really small shoes, my feet were killing me. But the beer tasted great, so it was, like, it was always worth it. <laughs> I don't know why I mentioned that, but I just, I just remember that very specifically about that day. And then we went to the Brazilian restaurant where they served you meat on oh, sabers. Oh, God, that was so good. That was that was odd. Greg had been there before, but I hadn't. They give you this little paddle thing you put on your table. You put the green side up right. if you want them to come by with sabers full of meat. And you put the red side up when you're busy eating and you don't want any more. And they come by with the pork you know, prime and, and chicken and, and rib and, and all types of meat. And you can and, and just eat. I love how it's like green or red. I want more meat. I don't want more meat. And it's come around and they'll just give you meat and meat and meat and meat and meat. <laughs> if you like meat, <laughs> it's a good place to go. This Brazilian style is really good. So we've had our four beers tonight. What do you think? What's your favorite? Ooh, tough one. Yeah, because they're all really good. Yeah. Um, let me look. Let me get all the bottles here. So I'm a, see, I'm the, a the visual first, type guy. The first beer we tried was... Um, it was the Red Seal Ale. Yeah, the Red Seal Ale. And then we tried the Red, yeah, Red Seal. Then we had Bells. Then we had... Uh, Rogue. Rogue. And, and then, then the Anderson, Anderson Valley. Valley. Oh, man. This is tough. Well, yeah, can we, I give you mine first? Because sure. I, I have mine already said. I, I want to mention that these beers were all very different. Yes, yes. They, none of them were... Similar to the other ones. So it, it's, it's kind of weird, you know, scaling them because it's not like, you know, this is all brown ale, this is all Hefeweizen, this is all amber ale, which is this different style. So well, not really a style, but different conglomeration of styles. A consortium of styles. Consortium. I like that. I would go with Anderson Valley first. I think that was just, it was so good. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to go with Bell's. I think that the, the sort of malty taste, I like that. I liked how drinkable that was. I really did. Then I would say Rogue. I mean, they're so good. It's it's hard to say. They're all within a point or yeah. two of each other. And then and then Red Seal. But I mean, they're so they're, they're all really good beers. That's just the way I would I would describe them. I think in terms of my preference, I would go that way. I might even I might even because I'm not as much a fan as the bitter as Jeff is. I might even switch the Rogue with the Red Seal, even though I love it. I loved all of them. I really did. Yeah, and now I might surprise Greg here with some of these. All um, right, I think I'm going to have to make the Anderson Valley number one. Yes, it had a clean taste. It was, it was the most startling. You know, it was the one I hadn't had before. Yeah, so I, I'm trying to not like let the new experience prejudice, prejudice it, but it just I drank it. it just I was speechless for a while. It really, it, it really so good. is good. I mean, it's something we definitely recommend. And then try. being the hophead, I'm putting the Red Seal as number two. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put the Rogue as number three, okay. and I'm going to put the Bells as number four. Which makes sense to me because you're not as much a, a malt fan as I. I still, I still really love the malt taste. Right. Now, granted, they're all within a couple points of yeah, each other. Yeah, I mean, they're all excellent beers. There, there's not a beer here who would say, eh, maybe not. But they're all beers that we all think you should try. Yeah, good beers. Very good beers. I want to drink them again. <laughs> I definitely want the Anderson Valley. I mean, this is the one that we recommend most of all of them. Oh, we didn't mention the awards for the Anderson Valley. Oh. So let's rewind. You'd expect that uh, it may run some awards. Well, so I noticed it because I'm looking at the label, and in a little yeah. gold star, it says gold medal winner. I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah. And let's see what we have on my uh, fact sheet here. Uh, won the silver medal. This was written on the Anderson Valley website. It's a little confusing. 
It said it won the silver medal with the 1995 to 2005 Great American Beer Festival. So maybe it won ten times in a row it won the silver medal? I don't know. But um, and I wasn't able to find much more information. But they claim in the label they won a gold medal somewhere. And well, I'm won. sure they did. We've been tasting this thing. I it mean, won our gold medal tonight. Yes, <laughs> that's what's important. When it all comes we should make to. up little medals and we should send them to the breweries. <laughs> Craft Beer Radio Gold Medal, Episode Five. Yeah, Craft Beer Radio says you're gold. And they'd be like, "What the heck? Who are these dorks?" You know what? I'd love to do at some point, and maybe we can talk about this later. But I'd love to sort of bring our favorite beers from from other shows together and see which one. Oh, there we go. The. Uh, the special reunion yeah, show. Yeah, the reunion show. A very special episode of Craft Beer Radio. That'd be interesting because, I mean, it'd be a whole bunch of different types of beer. But it'd be fun to see which one, you know, hits our fancy the most. Brought to you by Slinky. <laughs> or Capri Sun. <laughs> if you're wondering about the Capri Sun, check out our extra inf- yes. our extra podcast uh, feed thing on our website. It's not on our feed. It's on our website. So check out our extra. Yeah, we have an extra on the website. Actually, I might make it a separate extra feed. It'd be fun. So people can subscribe to it instead of... Because we had an extra for last episode. We mentioned at the very end of the episode. And I think only like 40 people downloaded that. Or we had 500 people download the main episode. Right. So, so only 40 people are listening to the end or aren't lazy enough to go to our website. <laughs> I'm not sure which. but we, we think the extras are a lot of fun. We like doing the extras. We actually have another beer that we're going to try in our extra. Yeah. So, um, but first, before we we go on to the end of the show, we want to do macro muck again because we like the segment and a lot of people like the segment. So, this is macro muck. We don't have any cool intro music or anything, but welcome to macro muck. Welcome to macro muck. Oh no, I lost my macro muck. Well, there it is. Yes, here we go. Okay. And macro muck this time tonight. Is, yes, I wonder. Today, macro muck has a new title. Yes. Macromuck, the shiniest sounding segment on craft beer radio. It's shiny sounding. Sh- sounds very shiny. Yes, it does. Now, you might be wondering, why the heck, how can something sound shiny? Well, let's compare it to the coldest tasting beer in the world. How can something taste cold? And cold is a sense of touch, or right. part of your sense of touch. Now, you may, just, you may remember that I described, I think it was the Red Seal Ale as cold tasting. And the reason why is because I think what they're going for in terms of cold tasting is it brings that... The coldness right into your mouth, into your tongue. I mean, but it doesn't, it's not the same thing as taste. It's just not. Yeah, coldest feeling beer. Yeah, a, a very cold feeling beer. Sure, coldest tasting. It's the shiniest sounding <laughs> segment of craft beer radio. So, if you haven't figured this out, we're talking about the Coors Light advertising. Yes, Coors Light, the silver bullet. Yes, they have the coldest tasting beer in the world. That they have this big ad where they have. I, I remember very specifically why is why is Coors Light shipped on these refrigerated containers because it's the coldest tasting beer because you want cold beer so it's kind of like we we love macro beer ads because they're usually very clever but this one is kind of we're this not, is a bad one yeah we, we're, we don't really like this one very much yeah this one's really bad let's see they start off by saying frost brewed at an icy 34 degrees now what does that mean now when no, you no no okay i read that a frost brewed at an icy 34 degrees frost brewed mind yes. you now makes me want to pause for a little bit and say WTF, <laughs> and uh, you can go to Urban Dictionary and figure out what that right. means if you need. But um, frost brewed. Well, let's start. Icy thirty four degrees. Now, does, I, I, I want to mention they also mentioned cold Rocky Mountain water because this oh. kind of it fits in the same sense. Okay, now first of all, if they use Rocky Mountain water, okay, fine, whatever. But 
almost every every brewery takes their water and they add minerals to it or something like that. They kind of make it taste the way they want it to taste. I'm sure that Coors does something to their water. I don't think they just take it right from the Rockies and like a spigot. Well, they probably do have. To, I mean, spring water is typically hard water with lots of right. minerals to it. I believe for Pilsners you want soft water. Yeah. And there's is a, a, a gross abomination of a Pilsner style, <laughs> but still a Pilsner. So I don't know if they treat it or not, but I would assume that they probably would to get the best character for their beer. The the part the reason why the cold Rocky Mountain water relates to frost brewed is because it doesn't matter if the water is cold, you're gonna be <laughs> you're gonna be boiling it when you brew your beer. But if the water's been cold for eons, then it's going to taste colder after it's heated and cold, I didn't, right? I didn't think of that one. I mean, because water must have, like, a temperature memory to it. And if they know it's been cold for so long, it's going to return to its coldness because that's its home. Yes, because all the snow in the Rocky Mountains, it's, yeah. it's been there the entire time. It hasn't evaporated. <laughs> You've got mail. I forgot to turn on vibrate. Okay, we need to start this whole episode over. <laughs> we done. <laughs> okay, yes, because all the cold water in the Rocky Mountains that hasn't evaporated or they got snow down and anything. It's just been cold for eons. Right. So it's going to be cold even after it's boiled. So yeah. So cold Rocky Mountain water, big deal. It gets boiled. Frost brewed. You have to boil your water. It doesn't matter <laughs> in order to get. Right. They even admit they boil the water. Right. But there's just a disconnect between. Reality and advertising uh-huh. at, at, at Coors Brewing Company. Frost brewed at an icy 34 degrees. Um, in your universe, Greg, when do, what temperature does water freeze? Water freezes at 32. So it'd be cold. Or zero if you're using Celsius, but be, 32 degrees. It'd be cold, but not icy. No. Okay. It's not even slushy at that point. It's still very cold. Yes. Frost brewed. Um, okay, so they actually say that it is boiled but they ferment at an icy 34 degrees. Can you ferment at 34 degrees? You, as far as everything that I can find, and talking to brewers and reading an article that a yeast, a scientist at one of the big yeast laboratories says, there is no yeast that works at 34 degrees. So maybe some crazy yeast from Saturn. Could be. Or Titan. <laughs> or Titan. Titan, yes. Maybe they got it back from the Huygens probe. Lagering typically takes place around 50 degrees, maybe a little bit cooler, or the fermentation for a lager right. with colder yeasts. So, yeah, those yeasts would shut down at 34 degrees. So maybe they mean that it's lagered at 34 degrees, which means after it's fermented, it's stored cool just to help. It helps with the character of the beer. And uh, I guess that's possible, but it's certainly not brewed. No, it's, it's a completely made-up phrase. Frost brews is a completely made-up phrase. It has no true meaning that I can find. Okay. So next part is cold filtered. Cold filtered, not heat pasteurized. If you listen to them, every other brewery in the world pretty much uses heat pasteurization. And some of them do. That's where when the beer is bottled, they raise the temperature on the outside of the bottle. They basically flash it with steam, hot water, Mm -hmm. to raise the temperature inside to kill any bacteria that might be in the bottle. So the beer doesn't spoil. Which would include yeast, I imagine. Well, we definitely kill the yeast, but it would, uh, well, beer, what typically, most places that would pasteurize would typically filter their beer, too. Because you'd kill the yeast, you'd have dead yeast in there, it would probably impart a bad character yeah. on their beer. So it would be filtered, then pasteurized. Mm-hmm. But cold filtered is like, uses, well, it uses a lot finer filter, so it filters out all the bacteria. 
has a lot finer micron, you know, angstrom, whatever the heck they are, uh -huh. range. But when you filter out the yeast in the back, well, when you filter out the bacteria, you're also filtering out the yeast, some proteins, stuff that gives the beer flavor. Yeah. So the beers we're drinking tonight, you know, some of them, none uh well, some of them are bottle conditioned, so it doesn't, you know, yeah, they some don't bottle that process. But anytime you filter a beer, especially if you filter it to get the bacteria out, you're going to filter out a lot of the flavor right. of the beer. So you'll hear a lot of microbreweries say that the beer is fresh and not filtered. And typically, like uh, Great Lakes Brewing and some other ones, that you only find their beer in the cooler at the beer distributor. Great Lakes, you won't find sitting on the shelf anywhere because it's fresh, not pasteurized, unfiltered beer. So they need to keep it cold to help if if there's any bacteria that got in there in the bottling process keeping it cold will, mm -hmm. is what keeps the bacteria from growing is that the case because my at, at my distributor i find great lakes on the shelf you do yes see i everywhere i go i see great lakes in the cooler their distributor is breaking the rules great lakes only wants their beer in the cooler well, I, i'll mention that to to my distributor you should uh but back to macro muck i apologize for the okay. tangent uh, all well, right, so, quite a few tangents. Yes, right. shipped and stored cold. Now, come on, this is ridiculous. They right? claim that they have refrigerated rail cars, right? And they have refrigerated tractor trailers. Okay, fine, but just like this distributor that I go to, doesn't matter if they, it doesn't matter how there's how it's shipped if they just stick it on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, I can't recall you know seeing a beer distributor or a six pack shop or something does not have Coors Light sitting on the shelf or on the floor. Just so. not. I mean, so it doesn't matter how it shipped. It's gotten to the warm air. It's gotten out of this mythical cold zone. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> None of this stuff matters at all. And then I was the last point I found. I thought was probably the most humorous. <laughs> they claimed that they don't pack their trailer trucks full because it's better for the beer to breathe. Now keep in mind, okay, this is beer that's either in cans or in bottles. Under, pressurized. Under pressure. Yeah. So it gets carbonated. But it breathes. It breathes somehow. Or maybe the cardboard needs to breathe. I mean, I guess maybe if you give it a million years, a couple molecules may sublimate out of the containers. But you're not going to get it really breathing. Now, to play devil's advocate, maybe they mean that there's room for cold air from the refrigeration unit to circulate around the pallets or whatnot. I can sort of see that, but then again, I mean, when all the coldness, when all the cold stuff is stuffed together, it's just going to be cold. It's going to insulate. So yeah. they still show these things on these big forklift lift pallets. So you got, you know, 50, 60, 100 cases all packed together. Right. They're going to do a pretty good job of insulating each other. So they're still not breathing very well. The ones on the outside are breathing, but the ones on the inside aren't. So... <laughs> Hello. So they need to like have spacers between each case of beer if they want them to breathe. And little oxygen tubes just to make sure they all breathe correctly. I mean basically what we're saying is that this whole this whole Coors Light stuff, this cold tasting beer and this cold tasting process, A it does nothing, and B it matters not at all. No, it's ideal. It's in an ideal world it would be good to have the beer shipped and stored cold at the distributor till you bring it home. It would assuming you for, want a cold beer like a pilsner. Well, for yeah, for um, any beer that's not a high alcohol beer, right. you'd want it shipped and stored cold. Even for high alcohol beers, you want them shipped and stored at cellar temperature. I'm sure most of these craft beers that we're drinking, when they're shipped across the country, they might hit eighty, maybe ninety degrees in the back of a truck. Mm -hmm. So 
they still taste good to us, but you know they're probably losing a little bit along the way. I guess their ideals are in the right place, but they took this good ideal and made all this fud all around it. Fud meaning fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yeah, and just plain old marketing speak and trying to make a point out of it that their beer is this great kept cold beer and they just took it to the extreme with the cold brewing and everything yeah. and it's not even a good commercial you know I expect more from the big three I think entertaining the, beer commercials absolutely I think at the end when they say uh, beer this this cold it tastes this or something like that and the guy's going ah oh, he drinks his chorus light and I don't know you and I both completely dislike this watery flavor of Coors Light and the reason why it tastes cold is because it's mostly water I mean, all beer is mostly water, but it, this is this doesn't really have much taste to it at all. All it is is water and a little bit of vegetable taste. And also, on a side note, I have a little addendum to Macromuck. Okay. On Beer Advocate earlier in the week, someone was talking. I haven't heard this commercial, but there's a radio commercial where Budweiser was claiming that their beer is so clear and so pale that it's because they don't have to hide any imperfections. Dark beers, like the ones we drink tonight, are dark so they can hide their imperfections. I see. No. <laughs> That's not why they're dark. No. I think what they're trying to... They're trying to fight against how, like, uh, Budweiser is very pale. It's very... Um, it's almost... There's very little color to it. I mean, it's almost like water. It's the palest of the yeah. three big beers. And I sort of, I think... Uh, what is the other beer? Is it uh, Miller that's trying to show how they're darker? They're, they have a darker more pale. Flame. Right. So they're hiding their flaws. Right. Now, I think they forgot that Anheuser-Busch makes Amber Bach. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone. So they're hiding their own flaws in Amber Bach. Which I can believe. <laughs> so uh, I think we've ranted enough on yeah. the, the big three. Uh, we yeah. we generally really do like the way they advertise and and some of the some of their commercials are very clever but this one there's just so much fun in there and there's so much ridiculousness in there we just had to talk about it yep so there's the segment of macro muck for those who wanted it I hope you enjoyed it I feel a little dirty after bashing the big three <laughs> doing macro muck but hey if the fans want it gotta give the fans gotta what they give want. it to them. That completes our show. Uh, we hope you enjoy it. We thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. We think we'll be back with ESBs, Extra Special Bitters. Yes, uh, that's what we think. A couple of you requested that we tell you what beers we're going to have now for next week. It's a little bit of a logistical problem, though. Yeah, well, what we usually do is we go to the bottling shop and we say, hmm, what's here, and we pick them out. And so we don't necessarily have a list available. We don't even know from one week to the next what we're going to be doing next week. We yeah, just I mean, sort of... sometimes we don't pick the style until we, like, okay, we got three of these kind, we got four of these kind, let's do this style. Yeah. So we'll do what we can, but, uh, you know, if you can show a little bit of patience, you can wait till the episode comes out, look at the show notes, and then go buy the beer. If we get the beers beforehand, we might put a post up on our website that sure. says what beers we're going to be drinking. We could do that, but it would probably only be a day or two in right. advance. Right. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll hopefully see you next week. See you later, guys. That's all for Craft Beer Radio. If you have any questions or comments, email us at beer at craftbeerradio.com. And feel free to send us an audio comment in MP3. Our intro and closing music is Lameface by Feeble Wiener. You can find a link to Feeble Wiener on our website. 
Craft Beer Radio is released under the Creative Commons license. Check out craftbeerradio.com for more information. Hey,